Big Business Briefs with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And first of all, I think uh, I should apologise. It's my fault we didn't record a show last week. Uh, Or no, it's not. It's my family's fault. They all caught COVID. (laughs) (laughs) And, And amazingly enough, I haven't. Um, so out of the four of us, I've not got COVID, but I'm feeling a little bit worse for wear at the moment. So if I lose my voice, it's because I've got a cold. Nothing more, nothing less. Loads of tests. Everything's fine. Um, but sadly, Heather, you also have a cold and I haven't even seen you to pass that cold on, have I? No, I thought I'd spent some time in the garden, um, sat next to a fire pit. And I woke up on Sunday morning and I thought, oh, I feel like I've smoked. 50 fags or you know and just thought it was down to the smoke but it's just it's it's just remained on my chest it isn't covid um but yeah we're probably both sounding quite husky this could be a new could be a new look for the podcast yeah the husky is good the hacking cough isn't so great yeah we'll try and avoid those let's yeah. see if we can anyway yeah, we well, should explain that we're oh. we're recording this on zoom as well so it's um it's back to the way it was a few months ago. So we might be a little bit more stilted than we have been of recent months. Well, we won't, we will not be beaten. We will forge on. And this week we're going to talk about an article that appeared in the Week magazine um, about a, a, an impending baby shortage. And not just the fact that there's a baby shortage, but that it's likely to affect the UK economy and you start you know I started thinking crikey okay you know what's all this about and once you start digging deeper it it's a massive subject Mm. not just not just about babies but about the aging population did you read the article I did um but I also went down a a completely different uh, rabbit hole so I'll explain that as we as we and discuss some more but uh, yeah I, I think it's probably not a surprise however what did surprise me was um, there was an expectation that Covid would um, see a bit of a an increase in, in the number of babies yeah. <laughs> uh, people are stuck in the house nowhere to go um, and, and maybe there'd be a baby boom but that didn't actually happen and uh, actually, the fertility rate in England and Wales for 2021 is heading to be the lowest ever recorded. So it had completely the opposite of what was predicted and, and what reasonably you might expect as well. Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting, it, they quote quite a few interesting stats. Um, they say that in order for a country to hold a steady population, it needs a birth rate of 2.1 babies per woman. That goes back to the whole, you know, 2.4 children. In England and Wales, that number was 1.6 in 2020, and they anticipate that by 2023 it will be 1.45. So that, and, and I think that I don't know. There seems to have been a shift. Quite a lot of people. I don't know if it's because women um, or some women have their children later. So you know, maybe then that reduces the chances of people conceiving. There must be lots of variables. It's not just a case of... I wonder if people are looking at the state of the world and thinking, ooh, why why would I bring a child into this? I don't know. A little bit of nervousness about, you know, the uncertainties that are around at the moment. And 
people don't feel very secure in their own jobs or, you know, with rising prices. And, you know, maybe they're just thinking maybe we need to hang back a bit with having a baby. I don't know. Yeah, probably quite a few variables. But of course, when you think about it, then in in the bigger picture, um, they say that by 2050, they anticipate that more more than 30 percent of the population will be over 60. And that will place a greater burden on the economy because elderly people are more likely to need medical assistance and they'll draw pensions, assuming pensions are even a thing in 2050, obviously. Um, And then if there's a decline in birth rates, there's going to be less people paying taxes to pay for the pensions and medical assistance needed by the the over 60s. So it. It, it, the the impact could be long lasting and quite significant. Yeah, do you want me to tell you about the um, the rabbit hole I disappeared down there? Yeah, go on. Yeah. So I was I, I read the article, um, very interesting, but then it, it sort of brought up a word, pronatalism. Okay, what's that? And um, so. I think this article was in a, um, about a report that was published by the Social Market Foundation. So a think tank uh, claims to, to have no political um, leaning one way or the other. And, and I did do a little bit of research. It does seem to sit between the left and the right somewhere. Um, but I thought I'd check them out. And their study is uh, titled Baby Bust and Baby Boom, Examining the Liberal Case for Pronatalism. So I thought, oh, what on earth is that? And and that is where you're actually encouraging. So there's a policy or practice of encouraging women to have children, um, especially through government support of a higher birth rate. Um, And actually for the government to intervene to try and increase the birth rate. Uh, I thought, okay, that that sounds really interesting. Um, But then it sort of sprung to mind um, a little bit like The Handmaid's Tale. Right, okay. Okay, so I'm going to dig into this liberal pronatalism a little bit more. So I found another article, and this is in um, Refinery29, um, What is Pronatalism? Um, And... This article is called Pronatalism, the men who want women to be baby-making machines. And it starts off with uh, a reference to Margaret Atwood's um, dystopian novel, The Handmaid's Tale, which is about um, women's fertility being weaponized by a political dictatorship. And and that is natalism or pronatalism. Um, So at, at the very ideological level, it's promoting the reproduction of human life, seeing women as the primary role as giving birth in order to boost a country's. Now, this is the key native population. So where it can be weaponized politically is you go, we don't want um, outsiders coming in. Do you recognize that sort of sentiment? Yeah. Heather? Yes. We want to grow our own. But what if the women don't want to have babies? So then you you put policies and um, restrictions and encouragements in place um, to reward fertility. And that's kind of a negative effect, can't it? It can affect a woman's right to choose. Imagine she's in a partnership and her, her partner says, well, actually, we need that money. 
you know, we or we need that incentive. We must have a baby. Uh, sorry, I interrupted Heather. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say it sounds like it's almost like the opposite, um, where you know China penalised families who had more than one child, and yet now they have got um, falling population, and so they're easing, you know, they're easing that that rule that that penalty because because it's they actually did such a good job of it that it's impacted on. So it's kind of the opposite of that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Now, I, I suppose I, I was open to persuasion because obviously I can see both sides of the argument. But one thing that brought it into a, um, a little bit of focus on the negative side for me was that um, the Prime Minister of Hungary, Viktor Orban, has introduced several pro-natalist policies, which have included subsidies for single mothers, uh, 21,000 new nursery places, state funding for families who need to buy people carriers, and a woman who has more than four children will be exempt from income tax for life. And wow. as the author quite rightly points out, on the face of it, uh, it sounds very feminist um, because obviously single mothers are, are particularly hard hit by these sorts of costs. Um, but are, are they disguises for something a bit more sinister so um for example with hungary apparently on the one hand they're rewarding women for having children but at the same time restricting access to abortion so yeah so it's 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 a much deeper political it's still control uh, and moral yeah argument isn't it and also yeah. i think orban is is quite anti-immigration as well so he, he talks about wanting Hungarian children. You know, that, you know, that, that sentiment is, is a bit unpleasant. But I've taken it too far. I admit I went down a rabbit hole with it. <laughs> I was following the word pronatalism. What is it? Um, you know, is it any good? Um, but this article, interestingly enough, says um, it wouldn't be a stretch to compare this rhetoric and anti-immigration mentality to another prominent nationalist populist politician, Donald Trump. So uh, as soon as you put him in the argument, then I'm, I'm already convinced. So, yeah, I think I think from a from a business point of view, of course, when we start to look at at this aging population, that there is, and, and also with the the decline of state um, pension. And people having to work longer, then if you've got if you've got a product that um, requires people to be fairly healthy, energetic, and robust, you're going to you're potentially yeah. you're going to struggle to find workforce. But if you make products that are of appeal to the older generation then there's a market that you can tap into, which is a growing market. Yeah. So maybe not a great time to be exaggerating, obviously, be, be making prams, but maybe a good time to be making wheelchairs. <laughs> exactly. But I think it's, as you say, um, from a workforce point of view, you've got to be planning for this because uh, according to that same report, that same study by the SMF, um, they say that by 2050, a quarter of Britons will be age 65 and above. Mm. A quarter. Mm. 
So it's like actually, if they've raised the retirement age as well, a lot of those people will still be working. Yeah, but still be needing to work. And the law will say that you have to make reasonable adjustments to enable them to continue to work surely because, you know, that tends to be how it works. So companies are going to have to think how to um, manage an ageing population, not just assume that they can get rid and, and replace yeah, I, I did. Um, I, I I didn't save it, but I did see some interesting information about European countries, and um, they they'd done a survey to see whether they thought that people were discriminated against based on their age, and we didn't fare very well at all. People's yeah. perception is that we massively we I are, mean, but the one that surprised me is that in Turkey, it was it was almost 50-50. They didn't, you know, it was like some people thought that, that people were discriminated against by age and, and, and a, balance, a similar amount didn't. So I don't know what's specific about Turkey. I've been to Turkey, but I don't, I don't know what it is that makes that information so different. Childbirth when you were there. Sorry? You didn't think about childbirth when you were there? No. In fact, I haven't thought about childbirth for my whole life. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be one of those older people who hasn't got any kids to look after them. And I'm going to need to be working or, you know, look, so, sorting myself out in terms of, um, well, everything really. Yeah. When you talk about the difference in countries as well, I I think the UK does lag behind somewhat in in benefits that parents get compared to other, certainly European countries, in terms of leave that both parents can have and maternity pay and and, and all sorts of other um, childcare benefits. So I think that will play a big factor when the economic outlook is uncertain you know can you afford to work for maternity pay can you afford work and pay for childcare? yeah and I think that they're gonna the country's gonna have to look at some of those things because if you can't afford to take the time off you know that's a that's a double whammy isn't it or or you get into the whole from an uh, an economic point of view if childcare it is more expensive than you can earn then a lot of people just don't work and that's yeah. not oiling the wheels of industry at all no and, and, and that's a simple calculation isn't it mm. yeah. yeah fairly straightforward so i think when employers and society has to make that work otherwise yeah why, why would people choose to increase the population <laughs> yeah I think it's a classic example of a headline actually, you know, just being at the tip of the iceberg in terms of yeah. what, you know, what this is all about. And what, you know, you'd think, oh, well, because we're, we're, we're historically everybody talked about baby boom, you know, oh, there's too many people on the planet, et cetera, et cetera. And I know we're talking millions and millions of people, but but if. If there is a general decline around the world, there is going to be an impact, isn't there? And it yeah. isn't necessarily going to be a positive one. No, I, I think uh, 
I think there's a lot of change ahead, a lot of uncertainty. And yeah, I think the the birth rate is, is going to be one of those that, that's affected by all of the uncertainty. Okay, well, the review, Heather. Yeah. Who, who came up with this? Was this me? Um, I think we were trawling an online um, book seller. Yeah. And I think the title leapt out. I think it was you that... Yeah, I found... You've got the hard copy, have you now? I have got the hard copy, yes. Okay, do you want to read out the title then? Okay, so the book is called How to Read People Like a Book. A guide to speed reading people, understand body language and emotions, decode intentions and connect effortlessly. Um, Written by a guy called James W. Williams. What do you think of the book? Um, I think the premise of it was great. Um, and, and looking at the contents page was great. But I, I sort of skimmed through it with a bit of a, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that sort of level. Um, and I didn't know whether I was doing it a disservice because I know quite a lot of the theory behind this. And maybe this book is aimed at a complete newbie to this area yeah. I don't know but I, I did find myself just going yeah yeah whatever yeah I've got that I've done that tried that um you know so it was going through um, a lot of different things MBTI which of course you're an expert in and Enneagrams of personality um so loads of things that I've probably touched on I'm no expert on any of them by any stretch of the imagination but it wasn't an expert description of any of those either is that what you felt or am I being I mean it is difficult because you know we we both we both kind of know this stuff so it is really difficult to look at something with no knowledge you know to go back and think right if I knew nothing or if I knew very little or if this was something I wanted to improve upon now that's not to say that I'm the best communicator on the planet but I kind of know where to look for yeah um, and I think from that point of view it gives a really good high level overview of a lot of different areas explains them in enough detail that you could even go and find a test online that it suggests and it gives you a a brief outline um so so from that point of view I think it's a good overview now I wanted to ask you what you thought of the MBTI because you're you're a trained facilitator in MBTI aren't you yeah, and I think that, you know, the one thing with, with Myers-Briggs is that um, it's actually really in-depth and he's talking at quite a high level about how it all hangs together, but but he doesn't have, rightly or wrongly, and I don't, you know, I don't know what he knows about MBTI, um, but it's not actually giving much value in terms of where you might sit I think it's very much you need to do the test to find out the nuances because yeah you can put you can put people in certain boxes or certain dichotomies but actually how much of that are they so it's it's the it's the waiting w-e-i-g-h-t-i-n-g the waiting bit that is, is relevant um so yeah, good high level, good high level description of what it is, 
but it doesn't actually give you anything. And I thought this was quite an interesting thing for us to compare. So talks about the difference between introvert and extrovert, which I think can often be too simplified. You know, no nobody's completely an introvert or completely an extrovert. And, you know, I'm I'm largely introvert, but I can do extrovert if I need to, you know, so I can, it's sort of that flexing in. Um, so there's a section, um, um, how to communicate with an introvert and how to communicate with an extrovert. So um, I, I can relate to a few of the introvert ones. I, I do feel that um, I feel like I'd been put in a box a little bit um, as an introvert. Uh, it says, don't use small talk. Oh, small talk's fine. Don't use banter. Learn to listen. Give them time to think about an answer. Uh, smile, make eye contact. Don't rush them. Update them. This is true. Need some alone time to recharge. Yeah, that's that's how I recharge on my own. Um, so uh, it's interesting. The grey matter of the prefrontal cortex of an introvert is thicker and larger than that of an extrovert. There you go, Heather. Do you think we should measure? So I don't, I don't even know which bit I would be measuring. <laughs> it's the well, it's the bit on you that's um, thinner and smaller. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing thin and small about any of me. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you see the same thing in chapter four? That that's how to identify and communicate with extroverts. And did you think that was a fair reflection of you as an extrovert? Say to put you in that box. Yeah, I mean, I think the one point I would make is that from a Myers-Briggs point of view, it's extroversion and introversion. That's that, So you can, a bit like yourself, okay, so you are introversion, so you look inside yourself for, you know, so you're quite self-sufficient, you don't need other people in the way that I need other people, but you can act, you can appear extrovert, like an, as an extrovert. Yeah. I just need to recharge that, on my own after I've been extrovert. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It doesn't mean that you, if you're introversion, it doesn't mean that you are going to stand in the corner of a room at a party and not speak to anybody. <laughs> it depends what party it is, I suppose. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, and, and that's where the the waiting comes along, because if you're extreme introversion, yes, you probably will be stood in the corner of a party and not stay very long. But if if you're less weighted in that um, direction, you might appear to be an extrovert. So it's that's why I think sometimes it's dangerous when you summarise things without the context. Yeah. And, and to, to label somebody either introvert or extrovert, it's, some people can take that on board and think, well, that's me for life. That's how I, yeah. I am. That's how I will behave. That's yeah. how people need to respond to me. And I think equally when it says how to identify and communicate with extrovert or introvert, I'd want to stop and say, no, communicate with them as an individual. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Don't exactly. try and second guess what you think they are. Because most people who've met me through my life have assumed I'm an extrovert. The only time they know I'm an introvert is when I tell them that I've I've just got to go and have the weekend to myself now because I've had a busy week. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Whereas for me, being with people is, you know, that's what I feed on and that's... You sound I, I like some going. sort of alien. <laughs> yeah, like Seems some sort of alien, people. yes. It's, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. 
One bit that I thought was quite interesting towards the back of the book is where he talks about thin slicing. And, and, and I think where this is interesting is it reminds us that, or I feel that it reminds us that we're making little judgments all the time based on some of us gut feelings, some people that we've met before, things that we've seen before, encounters that we've had before. And I think that we have to remember that whenever we look at somebody or meet somebody or communicate with somebody, we will be making judgments based on a whole raft of things. Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 and the slightest thing can change your impression of somebody, you know, like their shoes or their laugh or what they look like or, and so there are so many different things and he talks about this thin slicing where it's a way of reading people quickly rapidly um to try and make some conclusions when you've only got a very small amount of data okay builds on that emotional intelligence i think yeah yeah that's 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 good and and i think um it doesn't get a great rating on amazon now it gets 4.2 out of 5 that's not bad um, only 61% of the reviews are five stars. But what I would say is that it's on Kindle Unlimited at the moment. So you don't even have to invest much in this. If you've already got Kindle Unlimited, that is, then yeah. dip in and have a look because it is very interesting and, and it does give a nice broad overview of a lot of different um, personality psychology areas. Yeah, I think where I think this is would be good because it's it's easy to read, it's easy to comprehend. Um, but I think this would be really good for somebody who is um, youngish, you know, sort of twenty five, wants to raise their game in terms of management or or a team leader role or setting up their own business or whatever it might be. Yeah. And they just, they just want to not have to learn it all longhand and, 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 and shortcuts some, some yeah. different ways of thinking. I, I think that's really fair, isn't it? Cause you know, I, I'm, I'm a bit long in the tooth now. I've, I've learned all this. I've done a lot of um, self-development. I've done a lot of reading and training and, you know, sort of educated myself continually um for for many years so I think I will have started somewhere and reading a book like this would have been a really good introduction yeah 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 that's that's that would be my recommendation but um but yeah if you've got Kindle Unlimited check it out because it's thought it does it's thought provoking it does get you thinking but it's not a textbook yeah it's not a reference book it's it's a summation I think of, yeah. of the different strands of of how to read people also it might give you a, a little bit of an insight into an area that you might want to do more of a deep dive on yeah 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 absolutely and if you want to do a deep dive on myers-briggs then contact heather of course yeah, of course why wouldn't you why wouldn't you <laughs> so that's how to read people like a book by james w williams available for free on kindle unlimited and i think the hard copy was a Massively expensive, was it about six quid or seven quid or something? So our profile. Yeah. Who are we profiling, Tracy? <laughs> Let's see if we're profiling the same person. Yeah. I've profiled Alexander Edward Chesterman, British internet entrepreneur. I hope you've profiled the same one. Good. Yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. First, my first comment is 
He was born in 1970. Hello. Yeah. So we're in this. Yeah, exactly. He's a certain age. He's younger than me. He's older than me, just. Just about. Just about. Yeah. So he's got an OBE. And as you say, he is an internet entrepreneur. And he's been involved with some some brands that I'd sort of forgotten about, like Prime Location. Yeah, and some of those ones um, that I still use as well, like Zoopla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the most recent one is um, one that I've been seeing adverts for. And if you listen to um, uh, James A. Castor and Ed Gamble, and I can't remember the name of their podcast. Off or, Menu. Uh, off Menu. Uh, they um Ed Gamble does the voiceover for the advert for Kazoo. And uh, several times in the podcast, he does the kazoo, yeah, you can. Um, <laughs> a little catchphrase. So uh, that's how I found out about kazoo. And then it's like, oh, Alex Chesterman um, is the founder and CEO of kazoo. Um, although that is actually recently um, done, done something called the reverse merger. Yeah, I have to look that one up. Do you know what a reverse merger is? Well, it was basically, did he not sell it? And now it's been unfloated on the stock market. Yeah, so a reverse merger is when a private company becomes a public company by purchasing control of the public company. Okay. So um, (laughs) it's... um, it's, um, Kazoo has raised a billion dollars from this reverse merger in its bid to become a new, um, the Carvana of Europe, which apparently Carvana is a a big um, American uh, car dealer. So, yeah, I I love going and learning a new word, but I've got to say, technically, reverse mergers got me a little bit like, oh, Okay, don't ask me to go into any more detail with that. That's literally what I picked up from Investopedia or something. Yeah. I think what's interesting about Kazoo, so Kazoo is basically where you can buy a car online. And that a lot lot of dealerships have been doing that in a localised way because of COVID, because of the test driving, you know, and access and places being closed. So I think there's been a big increase in that. But, it, but he actually was probably a little bit ahead of his time because he started this in 2018, I think, which before COVID. Um, and it also, do you remember, I don't know if you will, do you remember the days when Deu cars came out? Yeah. And you bought them through Halfords. Oh, gosh, that's a, yeah, that's an old distant bit slightly yeah. foggy. Yeah. So you didn't, they weren't... Not the normal dealership. No, no, you'd order it. You'd basically order it and it would be delivered to Halfords. That's quite a cool idea. Yeah. So this is sort of building on that. So, yeah, so I think he was ahead, as I say, ahead of the curve. Um, Well, he also co-founded Screen Select, which became part of um, Love Film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. it's also a, a big uh, angel investor. Some of these you might have um, heard of. Uh, Secret Escapes, Car Wow, Swoon, Farm Drop, Farewell, Greys. Greys boxes, yeah. Suit, yeah. Um, and, and I think anybody who's um, is active in the 
tech sector particularly and I think anybody who's prepared to put money into a startup you know it's got to be applauded you know that that's a gamble essentially isn't it he's putting his money on something um, and trusting somebody else to actually make a return for him so yeah it's a bit of a gamble but um, I don't know as an angel investor whether he actually gets involved with advising them or not whether it's like Dragon's Den and they actually actively get involved with the management team yeah I don't know I don't know one thing that he again having set this up he's he's sort of um what's that awful phrase pushing the envelope right he's He's a he's a disruptor (laughs) he's a disruptor there you go he says that he's going to set up a Netflix for cars package that will provide a car for a monthly fee that will include tax MOT and maintenance breakdown and insurance. So it's designed to appeal to people who want more flexibility and less commitment. So he's shaking up, you know, the traditional sort of leasing. Yeah. um, Rental market as well. Did you see the article in This Is Money from June this year? Um, he, He describes himself as a tech disruptor. Um, and he says he's not not interested in merely grabbing a small slice of large sectors. He wants to use the Internet to turn an entire market on his head. And he says that um, his skill set is being able to start with a blank piece of paper and figuring out how I want to solve a problem. I think he ought. I mean, yeah, I think I mean, I, he's, he's clearly doing that and, and, and he's going to continue to do so. I did find a little interview in Car Dealer magazine um, where he said um, he says that short test drives, haggling and a significant gender bias where women feel particularly disadvantaged explains why he feels the market is shifting in Kazoo's favour. You know, there is there is that ability to. You you can look, can't you, without going into that male often male dominated environment and you know i don't i had a, i had a situation this week where my car started telling me that i needed to inflate my tires <laughs> mine did um, the same this week <laughs> right well not only was it telling me that i needed to de- de- inflate my tires it then said to me that i couldn't drive and i had to drive at 30 miles an hour to inflate them and then it phoned mini assistance <laughs> Right, so the the, phone, the car has phoned. Mini it's a bit invasive. <laughs> yeah, and um, and I didn't know how to end the call because I hadn't <laughs> made the call. It wasn't on my phone. It was in my car. So when the guy answered the phone, I said, "I don't need you. I'm absolutely fine." But I don't know how to end the call. <laughs> I thought I had a fancy car. Well, so that saw me then going to the garage. To put more air in my tyres and actually managing to let air out of my tyres. <laughs> so Don't make me laugh when I've got a cough. Sorry, but that. So I was a classic dumb woman on a garage forecourt, really not knowing what I was doing. So, um, and I, and I, I, I know that I was there. I figured it out in the end. Phoned my husband and asked him what I needed to do, which isn't really the sort of woman that I normally am. But I was very conscious as a woman at the air dispenser on a garage forecourt that there might be men looking at me going, what the hell is she doing? Because <laughs> I was out of my comfort zone. 
So I think one of the things that Kazoo is aiming to do is to cut through that and actually and to keep you in your comfort zone. Keep you in your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And create an environment where a woman can browse cars, see what she, you know, see what she's looking for, and then ask some some um, pointed questions. So what does he face, I guess? Yeah. Um, let me just give you a little bit of an overview of his likes and dislikes and a, a few other juicy details. This is uh, in the article from This Is Money. Their interviews are often um, punctuated by these little summaries. So he lives in Highgate in London. He's married with two sons. He was educated at St Paul's School London and University College London, where he did economics. In his career, he's been vice president of Planet Hollywood International, co-founder of Love Film, founder and CEO of Zoopla, and founder of, and CEO of Kazoo. His hobby is work, other than spending time and travelling with his family. Uh, Favourite film is The Usual Suspects. His favourite book is Bad Blood by John Carreyrou, I think, is that how you pronounce it? Uh, music, his preferences for Adele, my, Michael Kiwanuka and Andrea Bocelli. His best property deal was buying his first home and he drives a Range Rover. There you go. Yeah. Love film, he sold to Amazon for £200 million. Pounds. Yeah, that's not bad, is it? We talked about love film um, a, a wee while ago because that's those were the ones where they sent you a, a DVD and you watched yes. it and then you posted it back and you could have like four at a time or something. How things have moved on. <laughs> Somewhat, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's us done for this week. My voice is just about to give up and I need to go and have a, a really good cough after we've finished as well. <laughs> 